you've heard of a DJ. Here's your podcast jockey, Dr. J the PJ, on the podcast series, Taking a Walk with Resiliency. Walk with Resilience. This is your moment. Here is your host, Dr. Ashley Jordan. You're listening to Taking a Walk with Resiliency. Hello and welcome to Taking a Walk with Resiliency. This is your host, Dr. Ashley Jordan, and today's topic is dealing with trauma. And I have on the line Frank, Dismount 6 Estrada. Hi, Frank. How are you doing? What's up, Battle? Oh, PTD is a great, great uh, conversation starter. <laughs> I love it. Um, that's, that's how I like to break the ice with everybody. Uh, but, you know, it actually ties into some stuff we were talking about before. Uh, offline and also some things I got into today with some other friends that I've I've made social media has helped out a lot to kind of make it easier to discuss the topic of PTSD or, or, or any kind of trauma related to stuff like that and it's something that's a little more common place to speak of I think there's there's not too much of a taboo lately to kind of be aware that a lot of us go through that and to accept that that's just something that we have to process and move through. Um, I would say over the last few years that I have not only been able to discuss it a little bit better with the people who are close to me, who are here to support me and stuff, but to accept that it exists. I don't know if that makes yeah. any sense to to you, but that was something really big for me to sit there and not try to be, you know, macho military uh, and be like, no, no, I don't have it. No, I'm just, I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm just direct. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I speak, speak my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's something those, it's not so much a character flaw. It's just like your, your, your behavior, your mannerisms change. And a lot of us need something that we can reflect towards uh, kind of seeing seeing our our interactions from from like a different point of view to really understand oh shit maybe maybe i am a little overly aggressive in in normal settings or or maybe i'm a little i don't like mentioning hyper alert too much because to me that has a place right that that to me is referenced in certain areas of of responsibility that that i used to have in different careers but in in a civilian setting or in a family setting, hyper alert always made me feel uncomfortable that people would would mention that like well, I'm not paranoid, you know why why are you saying I'm not I'm not constantly looking for an avenue of approach that I should be worried about someone trying to harm me or or others. I have to agree with you. Um, there's a there's, there's some things about PTSD that that I think can be if if steered in the right direction and with a lot of practice and behavioral modification can be very good things. Um, you know, for example, there is, there isn't a lot wrong with preparing yourself in advance for things that may be overwhelming, as long as you're not to the point where you're making everybody around you uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> your anxiety, I can see where there would be some benefit. I agree with you there. So what was some of the things that you were discussing with, you know, your friends that you wouldn't mind sharing that you feel would be helpful for listeners um, to understand PTSD in general? And I know from your perspective, we're looking at combat related PTSD. Am I correct? That is correct. Yes, yes. 
Um, okay. And luckily, I've, I've had a, a blessed time being able to kind of interact with other people who had combat experience very similar and also others who've just had trauma related to service, um, both male and female. And just it's been an eye opener to find so many similarities that we deal with that have changed our behavior, um, you're interacting in more intimate settings. But one of the biggest things I think that we really all kind of had some growth was, was I don't want to say our mindset, right? I'm, it's a good thing. It's a good tool, whatever else, but our perspective on certain actions and behaviors, like you were saying, uh, being vigilant and hyper alert and all that stuff. What, what kind of came to me was like, Hey, let me, let me try applying some verbiage that softens that like situational awareness to me can apply to anything, military, civilian life, family life. That, that is something I think in context isn't as threatening, right? It's not right. geared towards combat for me. Situational awareness applies to, you know, uh, walking around in a, in a dimly lit parking lot or, or whatever else, or going to check the mail at night or something Th that softened those behaviors that I still retained and allowed me to accept, okay, my levels of, of hyper alert or, or situational awareness might be a little elevated for civilian life, but that allowed me just to change my perspective on those behaviors and allowed me to tone it down without feeling like something was wrong with me. Absolutely. That is a great, that is a great way of looking at it. So basically what you're saying is, is that um, you're able to take the situations that you were in. So for example, let me back up a little bit for listeners who are unfamiliar with PTSD. Um, everybody that walks around, let's say they've never had a traumatic experience. And if you're one of those people who've never had a traumatic experience, congratulations, you're actually very rare. Um, but before you experience a traumatic event that leads to things like acute stress disorder, it's not exactly the same thing as PTSD, but it is something that happens just following a traumatic event. Prior to all of that, you have and you experience what's referred to as a normal stress response. So a normal stress response to a situation, say there's a loud boom outside, you look up immediately and you go, man, that was really loud. I wonder what that was. Oh, yeah, I have no clue. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. All right, and we move on to the next thing. Somebody that has acute stress disorder, uncomplicated PTSD, complex PTSD, or comorbid PTSD, regardless of the kind of PTSD that they have from, whether it's from military service, um, emergency response service, or, or anything else uh, similar to that, regardless of all of that, um, those people who have that normal stress response, that comes prior to that acute stress disorder. It comes prior to that traumatic event. So I believe what you're saying, Frank, is that when we're dealing with um, our PTSD, because I'm also a PTSD survivor from military service, as are you, and we look at the world very, very differently. We have a whole subculture that teaches us how we should act and how we should behave. Um, there's a lot of shame, a lot of shaming that goes into that. Hey, this is, you know, you shouldn't be a big baby. This shouldn't be the response you have. So it helps you to guard your emotions probably a lot more than most to the point where when you're not actually dealing with those responses, you become very explosive. And what you're saying is rather than feeling the way that you've been taught to feel through stereotyping and shaming that the, our military subculture has taught us, you're saying, okay, there's some of this that I'm okay with being able to accept and share with others. So that way, when people see it, they understand, okay, that's all this is. 
you adapt, you overcome the situation and you assimilate and you recognize that some of that is actually okay. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, Nailed it pretty solid. I, I couldn't do it any better. It's a, it's a modified behavior. And I think a lot of us just with transitioning out and everything else, we forget that the tools and the skills we have applied to that environment, that mission, et cetera, our job and all that stuff. But those are the same basic survival type instincts and, and skill sets that, that humanity has had regardless what they've done as a profession. You just have to modify it for your situation and your environment. It doesn't mean it's a negative thing to have. You're just kind of on a different setting. You know, it's, you just got to scale it down for, for the appropriate use and be okay with it. You just, you just know that your, your max level is a lot higher and you can get up there if need be. So it's, it's very similar for me, speaking about PTC and everything, uh, when, when I was dealing with the VA and how we have this negative impression of, oh, now you got to apply for disability. Mm. Where, where my wife stepped in, she, you know, she said, well, it's a benefit. These are your benefits. And I, I know me and you've discussed this before. It's, yes. It changes the, the tone and the nature of, of what, you're, what you're speaking of. And it, it gives it kind of a softer human aspect to, to the word instead of a, like a harsher um, negative component on that. Because, you know, words, words and tones and everything carry uh, word associations and, and feelings that you know when you associate a particular phrase with a feeling especially when it comes to trauma uh, I mean you're going to have you're going to feel a certain kind of way about it let's just keep it simple you're going to feel a certain kind of way about it especially when you're dealing with with PTSD you know some of those common symptoms the things that are really important for listeners to understand is um, I think the biggest fear Fear is what rules anxiety a lot of the times and the anticipation that you have to avoid this or avoid that um, because you're going to have flashbacks or you're going to have thoughts that are intrusive or you're going to be seeing things that, and I don't mean this in the, the psychotic sense, seeing things that are not necessarily there, but in your mind, seeing things or reliving events that are intrusive and uncomfortable um, and then not even being able to feel the relief when you go to bed because you're you're dreaming about it. You know, it. those are things that um, I want listeners to understand where you're coming from when you say that, you know, certain behavior modifications also comes from a school of thought that psychologists refer to as cognitive behavior theory. How you think becomes how you feel and how you behave. Um, exactly. So what you're saying is, is you're modifying how you're choosing to interpret these things that come up, these different aspects, these reliving aspects or the alertness or the feeling on edge or the anxiety that creeps up in the the fear and the avoidance of having to avoid certain situations or reliving events. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, and I know there's, it's, I don't know, maybe you can shed, shed some light on it, but there's a lot of people out there now on, on different social media platforms, uh, you know, life coaches and, and <laughs> mindset yeah. coaches and everything else. And yeah. I know we spoke about that a while back, the, kind of different levels or the different uh, I, I want to say scopes of responsibility and, and impact on certain fields that involve behavioral 
um, what you can and can't do and everything else. But there, there's been so many people able to communicate the same stuff that uh, it feels like regurgitation. Exactly. And it, it creates this kind of numbness for me when I hear it, I'm like, "Ah, I know that's, those are wise words or I know that's good advice, but me reflecting on myself having PTSD, I instantly put a wall up and I don't want to even deal with it. I don't want to acknowledge it. I don't care about your tools or I don't, I don't want you to change my mindset because to me, just from personal, personal experience, I instantly block any kind of assistance when I hear someone wants me to change my mindset. Granted, I'm also sharing the same thing in, in a context that under, I understand, you know, changing a word for me makes a big difference. Is it changing my mindset? Yes. But I'm, I'm not, to me, I'm like, I don't want to change my mindset. I just want to uh, associate that modified behavior with well, Frank you already feel out of control as it is I understand where you're coming from I feel the same yeah. kind of way that you do can you imagine what it would feel like to struggle with this stuff yourself and then be someone's therapist or life coach it's it <sighs> you know and then you yourself are, are struggling with it yourself and you're like man I don't even like to say these things that I feel like I have to say because it's my profession so how can I say it a different kind of way because exactly. really what it is, you feel so out of control as it is. You feel out of control. You don't want someone telling you so that they can take credit for it. Oh, well, I helped you change your mindset. Or, <laughs> you know, you did the work. That's what it is. And you want to have, you want to feel, I know I do. Maybe, maybe you don't, but maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't matter. But for me, and I think what you're saying is that and it's the same thing with me is that I already at some point in my life during my walk and my healing process with PTSD felt like I was so out of control anyway. That yes, for someone else to step in and Johnny come lately on the scene. Oh, hey, by the way, why don't you try this? Okay, guru whiz guy, you know, uh, thank you for your advice and everything. But have you even been through what I've been through? Do you even have a concept and an understanding? I don't want to hear your story. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to hear that you've been there, done that. Congratulations. You've won the big golden ticket prize. and Now you're okay. And you're supposed to be the expert on telling me how to be okay. I don't think so, buddy. I understand where you're it, coming it, from. Cheapening um, anybody, any expertise's um, insight or 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 suggestions on how to handle it, and and there are people out there who are, are accredited and and certified on stuff. Just like yourself, you you carry a lot of weight with that, but your approach is very very different. You allow individuals to almost own their own success in in kind of navigating that that web inside our head it's it's a big difference because it's it's one thing to understand the mind and the behaviors and certain uh environmental triggers and and how the mind develops and how it's modified during traumatic events and everything else and how traditionally it should it should kind of rebuild itself or, or retrain itself but it's another to physically go through it as well and also struggle and understand that Best practices aren't everybody's best practice. That's right. You can't and, put everybody in a box and you can't just, it's like the military. Everybody issues the same uniform and we're supposed to all act the same. It doesn't work that way in trauma and in therapy and in treatment. It, it has to be, it's not a one size fits all solution. And really the only way that anyone is ever going to change is if they did the work, all, all the therapist, a coach or whatever, what have you label label you want to give them regardless of that label or whatever their role is in that person's life that's been traumatized, 
if that person that's given them the help fails to realize that it's that person that does the work and that they are just kind of there as a as a healthy, maybe clinical mentor, so to speak, for lack of a better word, then there's already yes. a problem. That patient, that client, that customer, however you want to label them, <laughs> they have to do the work and you have to give them the credit in return. All they can do is say, thank you for helping to guide me along the way. Thank you for pushing me a little further than I could have done on my own. It's like a, a mental health personal trainer, basically. Um, I yeah. know, and I have to say that cautiously because I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. But <laughs> no, mentor, I think, is a great one. That to me, um, like I said, life coach and all that other stuff, mindset coach and stuff. You tack on coach, I'm expecting to do something physical and I don't want to do it. Right. That's just me. Um, but if you if you tell me you, you're going to be a mentor for certain things, like I I immediately drop a wall and accept whatever advice you give me, because those are, you're now handing me tools that I can choose to use. You, you can't be everybody and you can't um, tailor your approaches for everyone, but you can provide them with an array of different tools and resources and help guide them with some feedback and whatnot as a team to, to find what, what's going to, really benefit that individual because the individual is going to be the only one that knows what works and what doesn't. That's right. Absolutely. So what would you think if you could tell the listeners or give the listeners any kind of um, advice or, um, or if you just wanted to share with them what uh, about PTSD and how to best help a family member or a friend, regardless of the type of PTSD or how they got it, what would you say to them? I think one thing that I've learned over trial and error was um, don't, at least from a family member's perspective, and this is just feedback I was given, um, be patient. Uh, be patient and don't take things personal because a lot of us dealing with that trauma may not be fully aware of how rough those edges are. And for the person dealing with the trauma, understand that it's a process and it's you, you might have a pile of shitty days, but one day you'll have a good day and that's what it's worth. That's you can have a year's worth of crappy days, but you have one good day. There's progress. And if you can do it once you can repeat it, you just have to be aware of what works for you and, and don't settle for any kind of cookie cutter approach. Cause there, there, there is none. Well, then let me ask you this. What does patience look like? I know that's a funny question, but I know <laughs> I know there's someone out there that's going to be like, okay, I, I'm willing to be patient, but at the same time that, that I'm willing to be patient, I'm not willing to be ran all over either. There is somebody out there like that that's thinking this. So um, what does patience look like, Frank, to you and your situation? Okay. I'll, I'll, I think that's actually something I'm a little more prepared to kind of explain a little bit using myself. Because I've, I've struggled with it, and I think I've gotten to the point where, like, for example, in the last week, I'd say I've had a dozen good few weeks. Last week was a little rocky. Some days I blanked out, don't really remember, uh, like waking up and doing things. But patience is knowing that your day may not be 100% optimal or at best 20%. But if you got up and you managed to brush your teeth 
then tomorrow's another day. Maybe you take a shower or maybe by the end of the week, you manage to do stuff. I've, I've had to shift my, my view on being patient and, and making progress on myself from the cookie cutter version of daily task and trying to make lists and trying to get myself motivated to, you know, establish a routine to let me adjust it to me and let me try to establish something on a weekly basis or hell do it on a biweekly or monthly basis. Patience is being patient with yourself in the process and not expecting you to pick up whatever your whatever tools you're being given and utilize them correctly, even on a weekly, monthly basis. It's just, it takes time to really sort out and acknowledge what you're dealing with. And I think patience is something that we forget to apply to ourselves. Absolutely. I don't think that's something people use. No, I think that's, I think that's great, Frank. Um, what you're, what you're describing is, is how to have patience with yourself. And I think what I'm hearing is, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're saying when, when you're, when you wake up in the morning, take it one moment at a time. Don't worry about creating lists, uh, trying to figure out everything that you need to accomplish in the day. Take it one moment at a time. Celebrate the tasks you do complete. Uh, you know, consider that the accomplishment because really when you're recovering from PTSD, part of the struggle is just feeling even motivated to do the basics. It's hard for somebody who is in the middle of that struggle with PTSD to find the, the, the patience with themselves because that actually puts them, it's like a cycle. It puts them further and deeper into the, the dark pit, the hole. Uh, that they're already in because man, I wasn't even able to do the basics today. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not trying, I'm not even trying to sound, um, you know, I don't want, I'm not, I'm not worried about embarrassing myself. My whole, my whole uh, belief system is to be authentically you to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I'll share this with people. There were times that I struggled to want to even take a shower. It was, it felt so exhausting and draining to even want to take a shower or to brush my teeth when I was yeah. in the middle of, of that trauma trying to recover from PTSD and we were no matter what it is a lifelong process of recovery but eventually if you work on it enough and be patient I think is what you're saying with yourself and celebrating those moments those little victories that are big victories to people like us that eventually you'll wake up in the morning when your alarm goes off you'll eventually not see it to be too difficult to hop in the shower and get dressed um, and to do all the other things that the daily living skills that you were used to doing prior to that trauma am I correct is that what you're saying yeah, yeah, because I think a lot of us get hung up too much on, on looking at our, our current state and our current life as it is, though it's a snapshot in our life, and and compare it immediately and and strictly to who we were prior to the trauma and prior to leaving the service and everything else. Um, I, I'm very much guilty of that. You know, like I've got a snapshot of me at my prime and all that other stuff, but if I fall into that today. And, and I look at today as a snapshot and compare it to me there at my prime. As most people have told me, that looks like my son who's, who's serving in Afghanistan. I, I laugh about it now, but I'm, I'm sitting here in board shorts because I haven't done laundry. I don't want to, <laughs> but I made the bet today. Uh, and I put deodorant on and I brushed my teeth. It's that kind of patience, knowing that you're not going to do a lot every day. And some days you're going to fail on your ass completely and your family might think you're either super depressed that day or just fucking lazy. Sorry. I forgot to edit myself on that one, Um, but um, that, that to me has been something I 
it's a daily thing to practice is patience with yourself. You don't know what your day is going to be like, but you don't know if you're going to have an awesome day. You know, you never know. And, and just small wins that do add up. They a hundred percent add up. Like if I managed to, you know, make it downstairs and make an appearance and help with dishes or something like that's a big deal to me. But part of my patience is understanding that that might not, it might seem menial, but to give myself credit and also to relay how important that is to me, to my family. So they understand, Hey, it might seem small or you, I might be disconnected or standoffish to people, but in reality, like it's so draining just to do basic shit that, Hey, I did this. It was hard. I'm not ashamed to admit that shit was hard for me. And then they can kind of get a glimpse at what the person is dealing with understanding shit. You, you, you are too physically and emotionally drained to brush your teeth. So they don't come at you like, dude, your breath smells. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, cause then they can, they can approach you differently and then you don't have that hostility because there's a miscommunication. And for me, it's because I, I some days I'm not patient with myself and that causes me to be upset with myself and, and feeling like I'm not yeah. me. Yeah. I'm not meeting whatever standards I think I should though. We have to adjust those standards accordingly to how we're doing. Cause we're, we're like you said, it's a lifelong thing. We're processing trauma and that's not something you, you physically do with a checklist. That's not something you do by going through a 12 step. It's you, you do it on a daily basis hour to hour, minute to minute. And if you make it 10 minutes without just feeling overwhelmingly exhausted, good job. Let's see if you get it to 20, et cetera, et cetera. Build on those things and be patient with yourself. Exactly. You know, allowing yourself to build your own mental endurance because it's difficult. And then furthermore, for those that are listening that are like, okay, well, I understand what you have to do with yourself in order to what patience looks like for you. So I'll just go ahead and and I'll comment on what patients would look like for others. And then you can go ahead and let me know your thoughts on it. But here's how I feel would be a big help to others, what patients would look like for loved ones who are dealing with people who that are in their lives that have PTSD. And one of those things is just provide them social support. That's what patients looks like. So what I mean by social support is, you know, the best way to, to demonstrate that you care and that you love someone isn't necessarily by forcing them to go out and do things. It's by saying, hey, you know what, in- including them. Hey, love, I'm, I'm going to go to the store. Do you want to come with me? Yeah, I don't know if I want to go. It seems like I, I just don't know if I want to get dressed. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And then you say, it's OK. You don't have to come in. If you want to come with me, you're more than welcome to. If not, that's OK. Is there anything I can do to help? That's what patients would look like. Don't pressure them into you know, don't pressure them into having a discussion about how they're feeling. Ask them, is there anything I can do for you? Um, Is there, you know, anything that I can get you on at the store? Make them feel included. Um, But don't stop asking them if they want to go with you. Don't (laughs) stop doing that because um, what you'll find is that, because I had people in my life that were like, well, I just didn't ask you because you always tell me no. Well, I understand that, but what if you would have asked me one more time and I would have said yes. The fact that people um, give up on their loved ones um, because they're afraid of being rejected, you have to stop making it about your rejection because they're not trying to reject you by, 
excusing themselves from a particular social situation. They're actually trying to help you help them because if they go with you, there's a good chance that they'll be triggered. And then whatever problems were already there in a relationship, because relationships are hard enough as it is, is only going to become that much more magnified. And I know that's a lot to ask people to do, but in, in, in some sense, it's really not. All it is is asking a question. Even if you know that what their answer is going to be, that's a good example of what patients would look like. The other thing is, you know, they may change their mind. They may be wishy-washy. They may be back and forth. They may one minute say, I want to go, but I, I don't want to go into the store. Or, hey, um, I don't want to go, but, hey, pick me up a, whatever it is, a bottle of Barks Root Beer they may turn around and say, you know what, never mind. I actually want to go, but can I drive? I'll feel better if I'm in control of the vehicle and I can drive. Then just be patient with those mixed emotions. Accept and expect that they're going to have all different kinds of feelings and they may be back and forth. Feel free to, to listen to what they, they have to say. Um, but be very, very careful um, to not go into... I'd say like a lot of clinical terminology, I've had some loved ones who will research PTSD and they'll start throwing out some clinical phrases. And I, I just, oh, oh no. man, no, it just shuts me down. And then people always describe um, when I would get frustrated, they would describe me as kind of um, like I get spun up and I keep going and going and going. But what they didn't yep. realize, Frank, and maybe you can relate to this, what they didn't realize is if they would just validate my feelings, I would have shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah 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 no i i 100 agree with that we have we have those moments and it's funny you mentioned about the store thing because i've noticed my wife every time she decides she's going to go out and do something she knows 100 percent if i can live in this corner of, of the room and never have to leave i do it i don't, I don't want to leave the house unless there's an invasion or some shit it's not going to happen i have no purpose to go i don't want to but she'll always ask, hey, I'm going to store. If you need anything, let me know. Do you need anything? You know, I'm uh, good. Oh, you're welcome to come if you want to. You don't have to. Um, and, but she provides that one, that acknowledging that I'm still part of the day, right? right? Knows 100% what my answer is going to be because it's almost always. I don't want to say always. Almost always. Nah, fuck that shit. I ain't going. Uh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, but she always asks me. It doesn't matter. She can make three or four different trips a day for different things. I'm like, ah, oh, I forgot this. Oh, I got to go do this. Oh, I got to go to Lowe's. But she always, if, if not verbally in a text, hey, I'm going here. Do you need anything? Um, it, it allows me without saying the opportunity to go with her. Absolutely. Or just to, just to know that I'm still, I'm not just like, ah, oh, he's fucking, he's locked up in his room or he's, he's uh, kind of avoiding everybody. Like she knows I, I have certain habits. I have certain things. She's allowed me to find my own kind of space to communicate and, and build a little support group of my own without it being a support group. (laughs) Right. You know, find like my, yeah. Finding some guys that are are also military, but also play games. Like she knows I do that and she knows I do it on a daily basis. And I'm like, bless her heart. She lets me play forever. And I know it bothers her. But I know that she's being patient with me, allowing me to kind of slowly kind of work through that and then realize, shit, I've been playing for fucking eight hours. This is my full-time job. And I've been learning to kind of, okay, this has helped. This has benefited me to have those relationships, those friendships. But also, I kind of need to 
be more aware of interacting with the family and all that. So even though she hasn't told me directly, it's allowed me to process that in a way that I'm more receptive to changing that or modifying that behavior for home life instead of feeling like oh, I can only speak to people who've been to combat. You know, it's not the thing, but right. I've been really lucky that we're, we're on that same wavelength Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. She's not telling you what you should or shouldn't do. She's not blaming every single problem in your relationship. If you have any, it's not my place to, to say that. I'm just saying we all have issues <laughs> that we're working through. She's, it doesn't sound to me like, and I think what you're saying is she's not blaming any of those normal relationship issues that people have, whether they have PTSD or not, on your PTSD. She's not invalidating you. She's not giving you, you know, ultimatums or making threats or anything like that. It sounds like what she's doing is a, is a perfect example of patience and what patience would look like for a loved one when dealing with someone with PTSD. And that is sure, you know, there was a little bit of an overload there. You were there on the, you know, your game system for over eight hours, as you said, your full-time job. <laughs> and she, yeah, made, uh, she it, made it, it clear that it bothered her. And because she was so patient, you're willing to, to see it through and to compromise and meet in the middle and modify some of that behavior. So that way it helps your relationship and it nurtures your relationship and your friendship for that matter. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. The, the friendship part is it's for some people probably have never realized that I know, I know for us military, it's, you know, intimate relationships are really hard, but there is that friendship aspect. Like sometimes she'll join me in play uh, very rare, but she does. And, um, She's she's learned and grown a lot with her own stuff, but also not only has she given me different verbiage to use, but she's also found different verbiage for herself to use in expressing her feelings. It's like because she deals with PTSD. Being in a household where both of us deal with PTSD is very interesting. Uh, and the reason I say that is there's always it's a give and take. One of us might be having a good day, and the other one has has having a shit day and one of us will pick up the slack and be strong for that other person and be patient for the other person when the other person can't even be patient for themselves. So it's a, it's a give and take. And I've been able to find balance a little bit easier in my day, which is normal task and stuff, or, or be able to be patient with myself because she allows me a space where she's patient with me, even though she might be struggling with her own stuff. It's, um, it's that friendship element of not being able to, or not, not taking the other person's direct actions, behaviors as something personal and understanding that there's something else underlying and giving that person that space and that respect to process it. I've been in a, you're, you're right. I've been in a home with um, someone who also had PTSD Um you know, and, and whether it's growing up or as an adult, I've had both of those experiences, not necessarily romantically, or, but I've had to live with someone else who struggled with PTSD. And when you're living in the same environment and you're also struggling with something, um, I think that the careful balances is not to, you know, allow one of your situations, one of your triggering events, one of your volatility events, so to speak, where you become very volatile to consume both parties i would imagine there is a balance that has to occur between both people that are struggling with ptsd not to take over with their own feelings about a situation because if both people are feeling triggered at the same time trying to rationalize is simply not going to happen 
have you found that to be the experience with you on occasion? Yes, there are times. And I, I hopefully this kind of paints a little bit pic- better picture. Uh, we obviously have different tastes in, in uh, hobbies, right? I, I can game for hours without eating and I have no problems or worries in the world. She can sit there and whittle away building, you know, wood, wood furniture and projects and stuff. That's hers. And she lives in that environment and that's calming for her. You, if you switch us, we are very stressed out in, in each other's, you know, environments that we, we are, are finding joy. Like if you, if she was to sit here and play video games for like an hour, she'd lose her mind. <laughs> if I sat there in her workshop and tried to organize things and build shit, I would probably lose my mind. I got nothing else for it. No, but- it makes sense. It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, I've had, I've experienced living with someone that say you share the same hobby. You, you, in other words, you love listening to music and watching videos or, or things like that but you have completely different tastes in music. Um, whether, you know, whether or not you share the same hobby, just being on the different aspects or different ends of that hobby, meaning you're opposite on what actually brings you comfort. So for me, for example, I enjoy, I love, I do love rock music, but I love rock music when I'm not um, triggered. Otherwise I like something yeah. more like reggae or, um, hip hop it's just a little bit more for lack of a better word bouncy feeling and i'm not talking about the pop distracting yeah, it's, it's just in a, a sense. little bit more yeah distracting um more feel good um rock i like to listen to when i'm working out or i'm i'm in the zone but you don't you're feeling rock, motivated but don't put rock on when i'm feeling triggered that is the worst thing for me um because when that happens it's like a bunch of screaming in my head and it's like, man, can I be any more overstimulated in this moment? But so <laughs> it's kind of like what you're saying there is that you're living in the same house. You're both struggling with similar things and you both have a hobby that you turn to that brings you peace. But if you switch it up and you put each other in the other person's element, then it can become volatile for the person who's not used to being in that element. Am I understanding you correctly? Yes, and I love that you brought music because ah, that is just, it's perfect. There are some songs that she listens to on full blast when she's in the zone that she really likes, gets her really hyped up. And a lot of them are very much related to uh, PTSD, almost 100% with the, the videos applied to it and everything else. And for her, it's calming, it's accepting, it's a reminder that we're still here kind of thing, and it helps her do it. But for me, it turns me on my edge and I like my, my, my skin crawls. I, I get very anxious. I'm super hyper alert. And I, I, you know, flashbacks or not, I'm, I don't like using the word triggered. That word upsets me, but it, um, it modifies my damn behavior. And uh, I've, I've actually told her, I was like, Hey, I know you like that song. I'm going to, uh, the first time I was like, can you skip it? She skipped it. And I explained to her why I was like, uh, she's like, Oh, I know. I really Another like it. Of I know what it's about. Another great example of patience and sorry about the trigger word. I actually have to say it like that for me. Just no, I because understand. It, it helps uh, the listeners to understand what it means when somebody is feeling on edge, what that actually means. You use that word. It's a harsh word. It comes with a lot of connotations that lets people understand it, it can be on 
when that happens. So what's well, it's a, and, and I don't, I don't mind that you use it. I understand why you use it. Um, it's a mainstream word that describes it. And it's very easy for everyone to get that. I totally understand that when, and what I mean, I don't like using it is I, I don't like same thing, like uh, benefits and disabilities. Yes, kind I of agree. Thing. That's, that's the context that I don't agree uh, using it for myself, right. but, I think everyone understands when you hear trigger hundred percent, everyone knows for me, you know, at first I was visibly just bothered by the music and instead of taking offense, she's like, are you doing okay? I was like, ah, it's cause she wanted to show me. She's like, Hey, have you seen this? It's pretty impressive. This band has, has put this music video and this music to share awareness about what soldiers go through and you know, service members go through in combat PTSD so she came from a good place and I was like, ah, I can't fucking, I can't see it. But on the flip side, I can watch like heavy, realistic combat related moving stuff dead at night and not even worry about having, you know, flashbacks and stuff. So the same way. I asked her to change yeah. it and skip it. And she's like, okay. And then once we understood where we sat on that, every time I hear her playing it, I just kind of remove myself from it. Or I've learned to tone down my physical response because I know she understands me and I know she respects that, but also I respect that she has a different perspective on it. And that's part of that patience that allows us to kind of <laughs> cohabitate with, with PTSD and, and enjoy things like music because um, music hits differently for everybody. She can listen to a variety of things. And like you were saying before, I wanted to add that prior to that little ramble, but I listen to a lot of classic rock and stuff like that. There are moments when I, I can't, when my mind's racing around too busy, I switch to like freaking EDC music, just a hundred percent, completely different route and full blast headphones in the zone. Just, I need to quiet my brain. And if I listen to too much rock and stuff at that time, that definitely triggers some memories of combat because I mean, we listen to a lot of that shit doing night ops and stuff like that. I enjoy it but there's a time and a place for it for me. And, and I just respond differently. Just being aware of those things for yourself tends to help. Absolutely. Me, yes. I've noticed. And I think it just requires a little bit of balance and patience with, you know, there's got to be give and take when there's two parties in the same house. Um, so what I learned to do is I could, I, I could listen to that music, even if I was feeling um, anxious or nervous about it or triggered um, just for those who are listening, it, I could do that for a small period of time. But when I reach my max peak, I know that I have to remove myself from the situation or it's not going to be pretty for anybody. It's definitely not going to help the quality of the relationship. And, you know, being very, very careful that we're not saying that because someone is removing themselves from the situation, that that means that they don't care about what you care about. That is the furthest thing from the truth. Compromise um, is important with two people in the same household struggling with PTSD. Um, and it's important for both parties, just like you, you demonstrated um, with your story that both parties understand that, okay, I'm willing to listen to a little bit, but Hey, I'm going to have to step away. That needs to be communicated in the very beginning. So that, because, you know, people are not mind readers, no matter how much experience they have or, or do not have for that matter with it, they need to understand that if there's going to come a point that you're going to have to step away from it, please don't take that to be offensive. And Hey, don't ever use the word crazy with your loved one guys. Don't ever use the word crazy. <laughs> Okay. Or, or, you know, give them or make threats or, pro in, in, or call oh, them yes, sensitive. My God, that's the, one of the worst things you can do, especially for 
that thing will elevate or that'll escalate the situation uh, further than it ever oh, needed to absolutely. be. Absolutely. And don't get offended if they walk out <laughs> that front door. They'll they'll likely come back, but don't get offended because it's their way of taking the step back from the situation. Um and in a lot of ways, people always say, hey, take a walk. It's healthy. Well, I don't know why it is. I've noticed that um, in relationships where the two individuals um, have experienced trauma, there's some kind of an abandonment and rejection fear that comes with you taking a walk or stepping outside. Um, yes. And I'm sure you've experienced yes. that, too, whether it's in this relationship or this type of dynamic. I'm sure that you've seen that same thing. Yeah, Um I used to be really big on taking a drive. That was like how I coped with a, with a, a situation and an environment that changed because of, uh, you know, a, a disagreement. I don't want to call it conflict because that sounds right. different to me, but a, a disagreement or, or, a, or a change in, in kind of the mood in the room. So I removed myself by taking a drive. But a lot of people have experienced that to be something that is, not for the person to return back. So I was like, okay, I understand that. I, I was like, I'm just going to take a drive. If you need something, let me know. Text me. I'll have my phone on. I'm, I'll put it on ring, which is a big deal for me because I usually have it on silent and do not, you know, disturb. And I, I never hear my phone if I lose it. So that's, that was my compromise. I'm like, look, I'll, I'll leave my phone on, on ring. All the notifications on you blow up my phone. When I want to, I will answer but I'm going to go drive for a bit. And then that allowed me to adapt slowly. I'm like, I know that that kind of, again, for the sake of everybody else, that triggers you, me going for a drive or whatever, going for a walk, that makes the pit of your stomach kind of drop. I understand that. So since you help me to express that, I'm going to help you and I'm going to find a different version of removing myself from an environment. I don't have to leave the house. I just have to leave the immediate there space. So I've learned, yes. I've learned to remove myself from the immediate space because that's, that's where it's happening. You know, it, you don't have to remove yourself from the house. I, I have my little, my little safe space, my little corner game. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go game gonna for a bit. Everybody in the house already knows. Okay. He needs a moment. He's not mad at everybody. He's probably just dealing with something. Don't take offense to it. If you need something, come in. I got the, the girl's wife or whatever will poke their head and, hey, what you doing? Uh, you know, you play nose. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm almost instantly in a better mood. Absolutely. Because you're able because to change it. It's a very DBT uh, form of, of um, removing yourself from the situation is very DBT. What DBT is, is a form of therapy where you're using the senses to almost recalibrate you and to remind you of the present because when somebody um, with PTSD is, is in the middle of uh, feeling responsive to a, a feeling an emotion or is in the middle of reacting to it, they're somewhat living in the past because their body has muscle and cellular memory. It's remembering that trauma and it's reacting as if that trauma that they once experienced is in the present because it looks and feels familiar. Um, and so that's what DBT is about. So for those of, those of you that are listening, feel free to look that up um, as a good form of therapy to look into because it's, it's really helped a lot of people. When I was working in Chandler, Arizona briefly and was shadowing with a treatment center in Southern California because I was opening up a treatment center for, for women in trauma in Banning at the time, that was one of the things that I found to be the most profound that worked. 
um, as an evidence-based approach to helping people be able to switch those gears. And so what you're saying is, is exactly that. Get out of the environment, um, recalibrate your senses, um, get back to the present, stay in the moment. And real quick, I'm going to switch gears just briefly before we close out. Um, one of the things yeah. that are really important for listeners to understand is that if you are in a romantic or an intimate relationship with someone who is suffering from PTSD, um, they actually have some of the highest rates of, of failure in relationships, whether it's divorce or um, just feeling like uh, they're not able to connect with their partners. And it's because it's hard for someone that is an active PTSD and it has not been able to find that recovery space to be able to manage the relationship properly, um, to be able to participate in intimate activities because their senses are overstimulated or not really being able to, to chill and to relax, maybe go see a movie without being overstimulated. And it's hard for them to, because they're so used to withdrawing, to be able to have any kind of attachment to their partners. And furthermore, um, the way that they react to, to things that you, as, a, as somebody that I like to refer to as normative, uh, someone who um, has a normal stress response sees as not a big deal is a very big deal to someone with PTSD. Um, and they can be very protective of their loved ones. I'll give you a great example for me. Um, I would, you know, every time somebody that I love gets in the car, I always say, Hey, please do me a favor, put your seatbelt on. If you have to stop anywhere, lock your doors and, you know, if the gas station looks sketchy, move on to the next one. If you run out of gas, lock your doors, um, turn on your hazards and, and call for assistance, but don't get out of your car. I, I feel like I, it's almost a script that I have to tell everybody that I love that I'm in a relationship with, whether it's a family member or a romantic partner, please lock the door. Please do this. It's like a script I feel I have to do because if I don't, it will give me anxiety. And so I don't know, Frank, can you relate to that as well? The things that I just mentioned? Yes, I can. There was something I was going to say for that last tail end, which is great. Um, I forgot what it was. Oh, PTSD and, and intimacy and stuff. I'll give you an example real quick, and then I'll, I'll go on the whole car thing. I still, to this day, have a really hard time with myself, like public show of affection kind of thing, like even just giving like your spouse a kiss or or holding hands. Like I can't tell you if I've even attempted to hold hands like the thought of it and the thought that i don't do it is both upsetting it's really strange it's kind of a double-edged thing but again back to my wife being patient with that understanding it's not her and it's not necessarily me being malicious or, or me not having um intimate feelings towards her it's just you know i i had to w- once upon a time i had to relearn how to smile so you're, you're relearning all these basic functions. You're, you're recalibrating yourself to family and home life. Likewise with what you said with, with loved ones and having to essentially have this script that you say, it's, it's knowing that you're taking how you approach risk management, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yes. Right. And, and, doing what you can without trying to be overbearing, but knowing that it's something that's going to sit with you. You're like, gosh, I should have, I should have said it because no one likes that feeling of what if, what if I told them? Yeah. And I totally relate with that. Like I'm constantly, you know, if if the kids want to go, you know, outside 
and it's a little darker and they want to go hang out with friends. Okay. And make sure you know, walk through the same thing. Make sure you have your keys with you. Make sure you have your phone on you. Is your phone charged? If not, you're not leaving. Charge that shit for like at least 50%. You know, take your, take a flash. All I have, I have a series of things I do all the time and it's, and the benefit of them, but also secretly, I know it's for me because if I don't, I'm going to sit there and stay up or sit there and be increasingly alert about my surroundings because now I feel like I have lack of control of my environment and those around me that I care for. And if they're out of arm's reach, so to speak, I feel vulnerable or I feel um, I feel weak and incapable of, of taking care of those individuals around me. And I, I feel like for me, that stems from military as well, because that environment that we're usually in, we are all responsible for the person to our left and our right. And that translates to our loved ones and our family. And it might seem a little overbearing, but it's, it's a coping skill we've developed and we're, we're doing our very best to try to translate in that into family and home life and it might be a little intense at first but it it is it's part of the process again of kind of modifying that heightened alertness about situation that extends to the family member and the loved one absolutely absolutely and it's important for people to know um that we can get better we can get better you're talking right now and listening to two people who um, are giving you effective strategies straight from the source without a lot of cog- without a lot of clinical lingo, um, letting you know practically how you can do this. So I would just recommend um, that for those of you listening and, and have a loved one suffering from PTSD, the path to resilience is not necessarily by avoidance. In fact, avoidance won't get you to be resilient. It's about facing things. At the same time, it is about pacing things and keeping things at balance. So you can start with practicing a little bit of compromise with each other. Um, you know, talk about things um, in advance. Hey, I'm going to put on a movie. It's about X, Y, and Z. Are you going to be comfortable with me putting that on? Yes or no? Keep it simple. And if the answer is no, then be like, okay, not a problem. Don't follow it up with, well, when will you ever be okay with this? Um, probably not a good way of doing that. There is a time and place to have that discussion, um, but not in the middle of, you know, them actually expressing to you when you've asked them that question and opened up to them that, hey, um, it, that's not the time. Hey, when, when, can, when will you ever is not the right time. When they're already opening up and expressing what their limits are, respect their limits. Start there, respecting each other's limits and boundaries, communicating openly um, ahead of time um, about how you feel. And that goes for you, too. It, not, not everything has to be catered to the person with PTSD. If there's something that is really bothering you or distressing you, it's okay to ask your, your intimate partner. It's okay to ask them, hey, when would be a good time to discuss some feelings that I'm having? And maybe you can help me understand. Um, and if their answer is, well, today wouldn't be a good day. It's kind of a bad day for me. But I am open to talking to you about it on my day off. That is not a blow off for you. It is not because it's always on their timeline. It's because if you want good results it's best to ask them when it would be a good time to have that discussion. So I hope that helps everybody out. If Frank, is there anything you want to add before we conclude? Uh, just piggyback off that. I, I've just recently, we had a discussion yesterday. My wife brought up a topic she knows that would cause me to kind of clam up. 
And she asked anyway, she's like, Hey, is it cool? I had something to talk to you. And it just caught me at a time where I was like, I'm feeling freaking great. Let's talk about that. And she was just thrown off and, and really, really impressed and and excited that there was that progress. She would, she didn't expect it. And we were able to talk about a topic that usually it's like, I'll shut down and I'm hot shit for like three days. And we had a great day. It was, it was so uh, celebrate pretty exciting. Your victories folks on a gr- on great days, on days that you accomplish something that you normally are not able to accomplish as a couple or as an individual, um, celebrate that. Um, if you don't have a, an alcohol abuse issue or an alcohol addiction, maybe go pick up a bottle of champagne and toast to one another. What seems really silly and cheesy to other people who um, have a normal stress response or people who do not suffer from PTSD, but may be silly to them, it doesn't matter. Comparison is the thief of joy, folks. Um, don't compare yourself to others. This is your relationship. It's your unique love fingerprint, so to speak. And you're going to have your own language on how you communicate with each other. Well, thanks, Frank, for being a part of the show. It's always nice to talk to you. Likewise. And I'm going to take with me the the modified uh, stress response. I think that is as my new favorite way of explaining well, some good, of that do stuff. That. And if there's anything that, that we can do um, here on the on the show, please let us know and feel free to be a guest with us anytime. Astounding. All Appreciate right, Matt, I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Of course. Well, thanks, folks, for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to hear about a tough subject like PTSD while you're on your own personal path to resilience, whether this affects you or a loved one. Furthermore, it was really nice to have Frank Dismount Six Estrada as our guest on the show today to discuss his own personal experiences with PTSD and how it, how it actually has impacted his own relationships um, and his marriage and the strategies that he employs for success. Frank and I have both served together in the U.S. Army. He's my battle buddy and one of my dearest friends. His wife is also a dear friend of mine and a fellow veteran. So it's a pretty amazing power couple that the two of them are. And I will definitely have to have her on the show at some point too. So feel free also to check out Frank's podcast show and series entitled Dismount. Also available here on Anchor FM. So feel free to like and subscribe to his channel as well. If you or anyone you love are currently suffering from PTSD, whether you're having feelings of intense sadness and hopelessness, or you just need someone to talk to because it's just that kind of day, please feel free to reach out to 1-800-273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. And don't be embarrassed or ashamed about it. It's, it's okay to ask for help. Um, I think a, a good majority of us who've experienced PTSD have had to call for assistance at some point. If you would like further resources and researching treatment for PTSD, I would also recommend going to ptsd.va.gov. Again, that's ptsd.va.gov. They have a lot of good resources there. Um, and the, if anything, they'll be able to point you in the right direction. Again, thanks for listening to Taking a Walk with Resiliency. You're listening to Taking a Walk with Resiliency. Thanks for listening to Taking a Walk with Resiliency. Hear more episodes on Spreaker.com. Check us out on Facebook and visit our website. Yeah. 
Uh, taking a walk with resiliency, you know how life gets So we are here to help you, kinda like sidekicks Walk with confidence, whether business or individuals We got your back, yeah, we know that it's critical Career preparation, even life coaching Enrichment for couples, let's get the ball rolling What you need to walk with resilience This is your moment, yeah Taking a walk with resiliency